the drum beats, the flag flies, balloon full! Utterly absurd. Nobody but a fool would fly in it. But they did, and had been doing so for nearly 30 years, since a couple of Frenchmen had sent up a fire balloon, a balloon lifted by hot air from a store and rags fire. In November 1783, two months after the first experiments, Jean Rosier and the Marquis de Lande braved an ascent in a fire balloon, then called a Montgolfier after its inventors, and landed safely. By 1812, ballooning was a fashionable spectacle in Dublin's Belvedere Gardens, as reported by Maria Edgeworth in a letter to her sister. The balloon is moved from under the trees, over the heads of the crowd. No one spoke while the balloon successfully rose, rapidly cleared the trees and floated above our heads. Mr. Sadler, waving his flag and his hat and bowing to the world below, soon pierced a white cloud and disappeared. Then, emerging, the balloon looked like a moon, black on one side, silver on the other. That was ballooning with a gas-filled balloon in 1812. Today, with modern hot-air balloons, there is less formality, but a little preliminary noise. But some hours earlier, in the home of a Dublin ballooning enthusiast. Now the general weather situation. There's an area of high pressure situated to the north of Ireland. This is stationary at present and will give fine weather with long sunny spells over the whole country. Temperatures will be normal. That sounds like good ballooning weather. What is good ballooning weather? Well, uh, the conditions would be ideal for ballooning if the airflow is about five miles an hour. You would need uh, to have reasonable visibility, a uh, minimum amount of, of cloud and, of course, a reasonably open uh, launch site uh, with, say, trees at one end to give you what shelter you'd need uh, to take off. Well, how does a day's ballooning start? Well, it, it starts very simply. Um, one looks out, um, see what the weather's doing. You say, well, maybe... Uh, you listen to the forecast and you say a further maybe. Then you ring the Dublin Met Office and they give you a detailed breakdown uh, of, of the projected weather from your proposed launch site. And uh, when you've absorbed all the detail there, you say, well, maybe it's on, still maybe. Um, so you ring a, an instructor. In my case, I'm still a student. So I ring an instructor and say, uh, well, is it on? OK, we give it a go. And then the furious ring around starts to try to get a ground crew because you need five people. You have to get all those five people to arrive at one spot at the same time and uh, you keep your fingers crossed that the weather is going to remain constant. Enthusiasm is the common denominator of balloonists. But what are balloons made of? Uh, just start with the nylon fabric, which is a fabric very similar to the spinnaker fabric for sailboats. It's very, very light. It's a woven nylon that is coated to be absolutely airtight to take the heat inside the balloon, which is approximately 100 degrees centigrade, and also to take the UV light, the ultraviolet light that expo is blown exposed to. Oh, how does the light come into it? Well, you fly very much in the sunlight, and the balloon is hot, about 100 degrees, and uh, normal fabric, normal nylon, would bleach 
very quickly unless it's treated to take this exposure. Well, how do you put it together? You stitches with a sewing machine looking very much like a normal sewing machine except that it has twin needles and it folds the fabric to make a very very good joint which is normally called a French fell. You start by cutting up the fabric and you need about a thousand meter of fabric to make a normal size balloon and you cut the fabric uh, so the balloon will be the shape you want. In our case you want a drop form shape so you cut it very in a very intricate shape and the pattern you use is normally derived via computer is too complicated to calculate it by hand and in our case we use a balloon that has 584 panels to give, it, give us the shape we want so it's a quite a lot of cutting to get it. And the shape you want is really sort of an inverted pear isn't it? Yes, the, uh, to be exact the shape we want is exactly the shape a water drop has the split second before it leaves the surface and that means it has uh, as least tension as possible because the water drop is uh, the perfect shape, of course. Well, you've got your nylon and you've got... Then we have low tape, which is a sort of nylon webbing, the same kind of webbing you have in parachutes. Very strong, very stiff nylon webbing that acts as a net across a balloon. And that is really what takes the load, what you hang your weight on. The fabric more or less keeps the air inside and the, all this webbing goes down and become stainless steel wires and the wires are attached to the basket and that is where you carry all the load. Basic information from Per Lindstrand, formerly an aeronautical engineer with the Swedish Air Force, who, strange as it seems, has a balloon factory in a former dance hall in Tullamore. We have five girls who um, operate our machines and uh, it takes five girls about two to three weeks to make a balloon, at least at this stage. Uh, of course, in a year's time, they might be quicker, but it's, it's about three miles of sewing on a balloon. Three miles of sewing? Three miles, yes. And you've got it all together. Now, how do you test it? Well, first of all, you inspect not all seams, because that's too much, but you inspect the critical seams in the top and at the bottom where the uh, load webbing goes into stainless steel wires and where the heat is exposed to the balloon and the critical part you inspect. Yes, well, may I interrupt about the heat going into the balloon? There's no danger of fire there, is there? No, everything is absolutely fireproof. The nylon won't uh, burn, it will melt under extreme heat. But at the very bottom we have a fabric called Nomex, which is a very fire-resistant fabric and practically impossible to burn it. And that is around the mouth of the balloon where the heat comes mostly from the burner. And also we have a skirt coming down, which is a ring of fabric around the mouth to really conserve the heat and channel the heat up into the balloon so it won't be waste going out sideways. Now you're saying about testing? Yes. And then we have inspected everything physically. You bring it out and you inflate it and you fly it, weather permitting of course. Uh, balloons are fairly weather sensitive. They don't like to fly in rain. They can fly in rain but it's not good for them. No. The basket is made for us by the Irish blind craft in the Rath Mines. And the basket is cane, the traditional wickerwork cane, but it has stainless steel wire ropes woven into the cane to take the load. And that, those wires goes up to the burner, which is a stainless steel unit, which we also make ourselves. That includes pipe bending, grinding, polishing, welding, and a bit of general bit of pipe work, stainless steel. It's all stainless steel. Six of the Tullamore balloons are already flying. Four in Sweden, two here. 
and Per Lindstrand's unusual Irish industry hopes to be producing a balloon a week by Christmas. But how about the price? A balloon costs somewhere between £2,000 and £5,000, depending on size and equipment. And to fly? Uh, it costs £9 an hour, but uh, it, it's very... One usually wouldn't balloon for an hour, it's usually about a half an hour flight, it, it all depends. So um, £9 might sound a little bit costly, but then when you think of other aviation sports, like part flying now, I think it's about £15 an hour. So it is quite uh, quite cheap in relation to the other sports. Madalena Rook, Honorary Secretary of the Dublin Ballooning Club. How did she get interested in the sport? Uh, I, I did part flying um, before I came to ballooning. And uh, I was interested because I just got got married and we found the part flying was working out a bit expensive. So um, we took up ballooning. And I had uh, looked around at some of the other sports and uh, ballooning intrigued me. I'd always wanted to, in the back of my mind, try ballooning anyway, even when I was doing part flying. you find it satisfying? Yes, uh, it's completely different to part flying. Um, the, the first sensation I got when you're up on the balloon is the sounds of the countryside. You don't hear this in an aircraft, the noise of the engine, and you're kind of all the time watching your instruments, whereas the balloon you can look around and enjoy the countryside to some extent. And also you can um, do quite a lot of photography and, and watching wildlife from, from balloons. A balloonist who does photography also flies BAC-111 aircraft for Lingus, Noel Lewis. He says... It's a sport which is a family sport. You, the whole family takes part, not necessarily just yourself. And uh, I think there's a crux. It's a family sport. Uh, the wives like it, the children love it. And uh, we meet people, especially when you land. I met someone the other day and she said, Oh, you landed in our back garden two years ago. <laughs> so it's, uh, people remember it. And it's, uh, of course, the colours and that. And I do a lot of photography. Absolutely fantastic. And you own your own balloon? I own my own balloon, yes. It's a big one. It's 84,000 cubic feet, but unfortunately it's getting old, so I, I only fly it once or twice a year. Somehow, a sport which carries two or three people up in the sky in a wicker basket doesn't immediately strike the onlooker as a family sport. But all the balloon wives assured me that it is. And when I asked the pilot, in the absence of his wife, is your wife interested? She's interested in uh, retrieving. She's interested in the sort of grand aspect of ballooning. She's not, I'm very lucky she's not interested in actually flying very much. She doesn't particularly like flying in any form of aircraft. And uh, that means that I'm left to fly the balloon. And since, as I was saying, we arrive somewhere without knowing where it might be before we go, not much caring, uh, you need a car to uh, take you home again and pick up the balloon. So fortunately, my wife, Norma, she likes driving the car and chasing the balloon. So uh, we're in sort of fairly good harmony most of the time until either I get lost or I lose her. And she insists that it was all my fault that I lost her, and then... Sounds very like a woman. Oh, well, <laughs> we have to give her. <laughs> it, it's strange that most of the women seem to be very enthusiastic about the retrieving, which, to me, is looks like hard work. Oh, it is quite hard work, but it does get them... It, it does allow them to be involved in, uh, in, in this whole sport, sport of ballooning. I'd like to see more women actually find balloons in Ireland, I must admit. Um, but the it, it does keep particularly a couple, and when there's only the opportunity for one to fly, 
because of instructional reasons or whatever the reason is. It's great that the other half of a couple can be involved and interested in the in the sport, and it helps to keep two people going at it together. That was Captain Mike Alexander, another Aer Lingus pilot, and he is Ireland's representative at the World Ballooning Championships now being held in Yorkshire. Of course, there's a long way between the pupil balloonist and the international champions. So how do the pupils get started? Uh, I thought it was an utterly mad sport to begin with. It was my wife, Madeline, who developed the interest. Uh, She said, come on out, and I said, no, no way, absolutely no way. So one day I did, I went out to help, and uh, it was a perfect day. And they they managed to, to trick me into the basket, so I got in and I was walked around the field, and I thought it was the greatest thing. And uh, from that moment on, I was convinced that that uh, ballooning was the sport for me. You say you're a student. Uh, yes, I am a student. You start uh, as a student, of course. You you must um, do twelve hours dual instruction with a qualified instructor uh, before you're allowed um, to even think about having a license. During that 12 hours, um, you do a lot of the general uh, groundwork, such as rigging the balloon uh, and, and the many other things that, 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 that go into setting up for a day's flying. Um, you learn a little bit about MET. Uh, in fact, most of the stuff is, is learned from conversation with other pilots and instructors. And when you reach uh, 12 hours and you have attained a reasonable continuity... Of, of of attending at flying days, um, then the chief flying instructor of the club may consider you uh, suitable material for the issuing of a licence, and then you go solo for the first time, which is quite a remarkable experience. As you went quite recently. That's so, yes, yes. We had been flying for an hour, uh, the, the instructor and I, and uh, in, in his opinion the weather was, was good, uh, the terrain was good and I had been performing reasonably well on the burner. So he said, right, I'll get out. And this was at 500 feet, so I didn't see how he was going to get out. So he brought the balloon down uh, over a field, about three foot off the, the field. He jumped over the side of the basket and it was gone. And I just had time to say goodbye. And, of course, the balloon, relieved of the uh, weight, he's about 10 stone weight, um, rapidly rose to about 500 feet. Uh, and I suddenly realised, <laughs> I became acutely aware that I was on my own uh, at 500 feet. Um, I was told to fly for 10 minutes and uh, pick a suitable field for landing. So it was the busiest 10 minutes of my life, I think. But I got down safely. Colm O'Rourke there. And the enthusiasm is infectious. This was something I had to try, despite the comment of an acquaintance. Open a balloon! You must be bloody mad. A matter of opinion, of course. But on the next evening, near Killing County Kildare, a 65,000 cubic foot balloon, a balloon needing two tonnes of hot air to get it aloft and keep it there, was being prepared. The long envelope was spread out, a metal frame with a burner fed by propane gas lay on its side, aiming at the mouth of the balloon. We're going to fly with two cylinders. What's the connectors? So we've got about an hour and a half fuel supply, although we're going to fly for less than an hour. It would be silly to operate it any other way. These cylinders are padded so that you don't get a knock if you get shaken about on heavy landing. Chief Instructor David Hooper directing the activities, but obviously everybody knew the drill. One disappeared into the envelope, 
to which they'd been flopping air to get things started. Among the fraternity, he's known as Cremation Charlie, and when things get going, you'll discover why. I warn you at this stage, when we're checking the burner, there's about an eight-foot flame comes out of there. It's a bit of a big one, you know. Right, pilot light coming on. Okay. Let's get it now. That's there better. You okay, main yep. cylinder coming on. Clear front. Seven five pounds. Main cylinder off. Clearing the line. Clear front. Number two cylinder on. Clear front. 75 the same. Number two cylinder off. Clearing the line. Clear front. Pilot light off. And then, with Colm O'Rourke in the role of Cremation Charlie inside the inflating envelope as it still lay on the ground. Okay. This fabric's a bit near at this side now. Got her through passage of air now, is that cooling down? Take that wall, Colin. What's it like? I can't hear from you. Obviously he was all right because he emerged before the balloon became upright. And within a quarter of an hour, the instructor was beside me in the basket. We're vertical. We'll do our checks. Cords. Check the rip line. Crown line tied on. Obstacles. Trees behind. Car to one side. Uh, crew still on the basket. Matches. Striker envelope. <laughs> Swallowed a fly. <laughs> check the rip. I'm pulling the rip off just to check that. That's it. That's fine. Rip's okay. Burner coming on. After the balloon's gone up, it's full of dead flies from this burner. Once it goes vertical, they're dropping out. That's not too bit dropping like flies, so does me. <laughs> right, hands off for a sec. See our weight, we're still heavy, okay. Hands off again. Bit better, hands on. Still heavy. That. Once it once it gets buoyant, watch we don't drift backwards into those trees. Mm. Hands off. That's it. Oh, We're buoyant. Right. Okay, out. you can walk us out a little way if you like. Into whatever wind there is. 
burner coming on. Just check the takeoff time. Okay, burner coming on again. Hands off. We'll, we'll clear underneath. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. At this point, the obvious came to mind. You must be bloody mad. The extraordinary thing about this is, it, is it's absolute dead quiet. It's a, an odd spot of. I thought it was rain. It's not. It's condensation, isn't it? It's propane dripping down. Yeah, condensation. What height are we now? Oh, we're only about 200 feet at the moment, but we've come into the air streaking over those trees, so I've got to burn now, anticipating the cooling effect that'll have. The, the burning, you'll notice we're doing it intermittently. Uh, we don't want the noise on all the time, but we need to compensate for the cooling of that large envelope. That's 65,000 cubic foot capacity, this balloon. That's the two tons uh, of hot air. That's, that's it, that's it. And the um, large surface area means that there's a large cooling area. So the burner compensates for the cooling rate to maintain level flight. If I burn more than I need to for compensation, then we'll gradually heat up and we'll gradually climb. And if I cool a little less, then we'll come down. And that's the way you control your altitude. I'll burn again now. Conversation aloft is punctuated by blasts from the burner, but my mind drifted back to earlier conversations. The air law says that powered aircraft and airships and gliders will give way to balloons, so we have absolute right of way in that respect. But of course it doesn't mean that we can go thundering through restricted airspace in our balloons. What's a restricted airspace? Well, there are control zones around Dublin, Cork and Shannon, and there are airways connecting the three and other airports. So there are, there's a, a, a map that we use that is quite complicated with airways and we know which are our um, playgrounds, if you like, free airspace and places that we mustn't go near. And um, the direction and strength of the wind may in fact dictate where you take off from. For instance, you couldn't really put the balloon up in the Phoenix Park um, the prevailing wind would take you either straight to the airport or straight out to sea. So the the, um, the use of free airspace um, does mean that you have to use it responsibly. And there was that talk we'd had about danger. Well, the dangers you don't fully appreciate until you're a qualified pilot. Um, there are dangers, and as with most sports, the dangers usually come through, um, say, taking part in your sport when the uh, weather conditions 
say you should stay at home or do something different. Um, I should imagine it's like skiing or many other sports. If the weather says no, then you shouldn't go. Um, until your experience, you tend to disbelieve the Met man about what the Met conditions are going to be. Um, you look at the weather yourself through rose-coloured glasses because you want to go out and partake of your sport. And not until you've collected a few bruises do you begin to believe the wiser people that say, don't do it if the wind's too strong. dangers, I should say, to balloonists are um, power cables. Of course, a few centuries ago, there were no power cables for them to worry about. But it's not until you get airborne and you come drifting across the countryside that you appreciate just how many high-tension cables there are about. Even way out in the country, there they are, going to all the little farmsteads. 10,000 volt cables, bigger ones further off up to the substations. <coughs> and of course, it can be difficult to see sometimes. If you fly late in the evening, you would have difficulty in picking them out, so you don't fly late in the evening. So you got a puncture on a balloon? The puncture won't affect it very much. Uh, a balloon is so designed that you can fly a balloon with one complete panel out of the 594 completely gone out and still come down safely. I don't want to fly on that one. <laughs> no, neither would I, but I have done it just to prove that it can be done. The sound of the burner blasting more hot air brought me back to current affairs. There we are, there's our launch site. Almost quarter of a mile back already. A little bit more wind up here than thought of early on. The two cars have got to try and follow us. They've got to follow us with the trailer, that's right. And there you can see the nice racetrack coming up. So I'm going to climb here because we want to uh, go over the nice town at a reasonable height. <laughs> That indicates that the canopy is flying in a different airstream than the basket is. So uh, it means there's what we call wind shear. So when the whole contraption reaches that height, then we will make possibly turn in a different direction because the airflow at different heights goes in different directions. And feeling that breeze on your face is the clue to the wind shear. Once you've learnt which direction the shear is taking you, you can at least pick which height you want for a favourable direction. You can't steer, but you can at least stay in a favourable airflow. Right. We're about 1,200 feet now. What's the stretch of water over there? Oh, that's Blessington Lakes. More of it will come into view as we climb. We'll go up a bit and you'll get a better view. Can you see more of the lake coming into view as the perspective changes? Can do. That perspective change that you can actually see, that is the method we use for checking whether we're ascending or descending. You take a couple of references like a mountain in the foreground or a hill in the foreground, a mountain in the background and watch the perspective change. And you can um, get quite accurate at 
estimating how fast you're rising or falling or, or in fact if you're flying level. In the other direction you can see the chimneys on the Pigeon House and Hoth and you can see this, the smoke trapped down over the city. It's quite clear, out in the, or reasonably clear in the other direction. You have no feeling of motion? Not till you come low. No, you haven't. It's really, the ground is so far away from you that there isn't any feeling of motion. Um, if you see an aircraft fly by, that's a different story. You'll see, you'll see the motion then. But we're not really travelling fast. We're only travelling at about eight knots at the moment, which is uh, nice and calm for ballooning. I'm going to go a bit higher to see if I can find more south in the wind. Uh, way ahead there, can you see... Um, uh, is it Punchestown racetrack? And to the right of that, and one field further over, can you see a grass airstrip? Oh yes. That, that's Gowran Grange. Well, that's where you were gliding. Well, that, that's where we're gliding this afternoon. The, the gliding championships are on there at the moment. And if this upper wind takes us to the left of that, then using the lower wind to track to the right and then the upper wind to track to the left, we could make that our goal and um, test our skill at trying to land on that place. We'd be very lucky to do it, but it's been done. <laughs> the heading's good at the moment. Uh, we're going to pass just over Nace, the north end of Nace. So looking at the map and backtracking to our takeoff point, it means that if I project that ahead, we're going to pass north of this uh, restricted area on the map there. That's the Curra Camp restricted area around there, but we're well away from that. Uh, so just by projecting this ahead and the time taken to reach a certain point, I can figure out whereabouts we'll be for the safety of the flight, you know. Uh, after we've gone over these pylons, we'll come down into this clear area and make a run in for a landing. Now, before we get low, I'd like to tell you that um, the landing technique is to unlock your knee joints, but keep your leg muscles taut so that you have shock absorption properties in your feet, mm -hmm. okay, in your legs. Um, there are handholds in the top of the basket and in the bottom of the basket. Should, the bottom ones are should it turn over. So you must stay in the basket at all times. I can't afford to be without your weight if we tip over on landing. Um, so now we're there are the power wires. We're crossing them nicely. And there's a decent area there. The retrieve truck in sight. That's an ideal time to come down low. So we'll start to descend now over these cornfields, uh, which we won't land in. We're going to the grass over there beyond. And we'll fly low. And when a field of opportunity slides underneath, we'll pull the ripcord and drop into it. There's corn in the field ahead, isn't it? There is. We'll try and skim over that one. If we do touch these treetops, it'll start the basket pendulum swinging. As long as you hold on, you're OK. That's normal. That's why I'm warning you. Once you know it's normal, you, presumably you won't worry about it. That's what you think. <laughs> now, the trees are sliding by now, what, maybe 30 feet underneath. And I'm letting it cool more to descend a little more. I can see power lines three fields away. So I want to get in in two. I'm going to valve off a little bit because I overburnt slightly there. That should be enough. We'll start to come down in a second. That's our field. Oh, the one with the cows in? Well, the cows are way to one side. Yeah. We, we won't bother them. They may bother us when we try and put the balloon away. So now I want to cruise a bit lower over this field. We should go between those two trees. It's coming nicely at the moment. The burns now, you'll notice, are short and often. 
The cows are coming towards us now. They are. We're swinging further left. And we are... <laughs> Into that tree, as it looks. Oh, right, 50 feet. Uh, well, our basket's level with that tree now, and unfortunately we're swinging towards it. Mm -hmm. So it's we'll barley, see. It's barley, not corn, anyway. Oh, yeah. And, and we're going further away from the cattle, fortunately. We, we may just clip the side of this tree and collect some foliage as a souvenir, if you like. Now I've burnt a little too much, so I'm going to rip a little more out. You want some foliage? There it is. <laughs> Within six feet. How about that? That's an oak tree. <laughs> oh, I enjoyed that. Mm. Now we're going, to land. we're going to land in this field because there's access to the road. That's ideal. It was tailor-made. There we are, look. 20 feet. Sinking. I'll try and reduce the rate of sink. Landing at this speed, it will tip over. So, you might need to hold this one. There we are, four feet. But I've, we're flying level at the moment to reduce the tilt when we get down. Now I'm going to have to rip now, so I'm getting that flame out. Okay, flames off. Pull in the rip. Stay in whatever you do. Rips fully pulled. Here it comes. We're on. Okay. It may drag a, a second, so sure. Okay. Then it will tilt. Now she'll tip over now as the wind blows the canopy downwind, and it's starting to spill air quite fast. So that's okay. That's that's a grand landing. <laughs> get me foot out from under. Are you okay? Yep, I'm fine. I always knew those cows would close in, but within a couple of minutes a member of the retrieve party was alongside to shoo them off and to laugh at me crawling out from the overturned basket. It seems cows like the flavour of the material of the balloons, which, by the way, are always brightly coloured. Why? It's all they can be seen by other aircraft. In fact, I believe it's illegal to have a one-colour balloon. And also so they're easily visible from the ground, because if they were or one colour or blended in with something on the ground it could be lost easily. And if you do see a balloon, it's probably one of the eight in the country, flown by one of Ireland's ten balloon pilots. Although there'll be quite a number of visiting balloons from overseas when the Irish rally takes place up at Loch Key Forest Park later this month. Meanwhile, the retrieve party back with our balloon was rolling it up and stowing it away in its bag. They'd seen us off at Kill and then gone into their routine. If there's a little bit of wind now, we, we madly race around, picking up the sticks and all the bits of equipment left lying around, put it into the trailer, into the balloon trailer, and off we go. But if it's, a, if it's not windy at all, we, we just take our time. and We're watching it going off ahead and uh, just keeping our eye on it and just taking our time. We get the rest of the retrieve crew together and off we go, you know, just sort of say where they're heading heading for wherever, you know, and uh, then we just go after them and take our time. And um, every retrieve is different, absolutely different. You never get two retrieves alike. And you, you find one time it might be a really easy retrieve where you can just 
drive the trailer into a field, pick up the balloon basket and all the equipment, drive out again. Another time you might find you're having to lift all the equipment separately over barbed wire fences and so on, and it can really be fun. You know, I mean, you, you end up at the end of the day by laughing about it. You know, you really thoroughly enjoy it. It's hard work, OK, but we, we take it in our stride and I think we all get a lot of pleasure out of it in our own way. For some reason, I find it more fun on the ground chasing the balloon than I do actually being up in the air. Now, I'm just the reverse to the balloon pilots that are under training and those that have qualified, I know. But uh, at the same time, uh, I don't know, there's something different about uh, being on the ground and watching the balloon, chasing it, meeting people, this kind of thing. Uh, Do you ever lose the balloon? Oh, we have done. <laughs> we have done, yes, a few times. And uh, sometimes it's got dark. And uh, at times, if I haven't been going out, I've been the one where they've phoned back to let me know where the pilot has landed. Then the retrieve crew phone up and ask where the pilot is, and I have to get them connected again, you see. <laughs> there are lots of laughs and ballooning. And Mike Alexander summed up his attitude. Aircraft flying and balloon flying are just two completely different things. It's just almost as different as walking along the road and driving a car along the road, probably. Uh, in ballooning, you've got time to look around and see what's going on around you and underneath you. Uh, you're not particularly interested in where you're going, which to me is a great one of the biggest attractions of the lot. Um, aircraft flying, you're always navigating. You have to know where you are and where you're going to be next and what time you're going to be there and what altitude you're supposed to be exactly at. Uh, in ballooning, you wander gently down to a suitable takeoff site, chat for a bit, get airborne, fly along for a bit, and land. And where you land is really immaterial as long as the field's not too muddy and it's close to a road, and you know you can get out of it and go to the pub fairly fairly rapidly afterwards. It's a completely relaxed form of flying. There's no very little hassle in it until you get into this world championship business. Well, that's uh, that's a different story. That's no, and that's not what attracted me to ballooning to start with. From a man who doesn't like it. Uh, well, I quite enjoy competitive ballooning, and I was lucky enough to come out top of the Irish selection trial, so uh, I've now got to make myself uh, do it. I, I, you know, it's, it's good fun occasionally, but it's not, to me, the real attraction of ballooning. The real attraction of ballooning, as I was saying, is just drifting. And that does sound more relaxing than this. 